Well, we're coming on with Mark, Mark 5. And the theme that I, I take out of this chapter is the way that Jesus so thirsts for relationship with people. Now, of course, people had all kinds of misunderstandings about him. Their commitment to him was, was not as it should have been. And they had misunderstandings about all, th- all sorts of things, about God and all kinds of things. And this w- woman who comes to him with the, uh, with the blood disease, she obviously had the idea that if she could just touch his clothing, she would be healed. And really her mentality, it seems to me, was very similar to that which is in Catholics and Russian Orthodox, the idea that if I touch something, in, in, in Russian this uh, word is kasanya, this uh, concept that if I touch that which is holy, I'm okay. Yeah, you can travel, people travel huge distances. Uh, Catholics, for example, to go to the, uh, the Black Madonna in uh, Czestochowa in, in Poland to just touch and that's it, then you can, you can go home or go out for a drink or something uh, but the point is, you know, go to the priest touch, that's it I've, I've done my thing and so I think it, it was with her she thought, I've I just got to touch him there's something about him, I just touch him, I'm going to get better so she had faith in him but her understanding was way off in a whole lot of ways it's not a question of touching it's a, a question of faith and so she touches him, and yes, he heals her. He doesn't say, look here, you've got to reject that idea that's wrong about uh, touching and getting blessing from touching. It's nothing to do with that. But anyway, he heals her. And he says in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. So he's saying, look, it wasn't your touching of me, it was your faith. But he still healed her, and he still went along with her. And he did that in order to bring her to a better realization about himself. And we're going to be thinking today about the, the miracle of healing legion, about healing this, uh, this crazy man that comes and meets Jesus out of the tombs. And although we're going to be quite expositional, the, the point I want to try to bring over is the gentleness of the Lord and his desire to lead people further. Now, this, of course, is a lesson to us in in how we treat other people. Uh, But not only so, I think it is also a lesson to us, an encouragement to us, about the Lord's way of dealing with us. We may not have these primitive ideas that uh, people had about demons and touching something holy to get healed and that sort of thing. But we have our wrong understandings, and the fact we may consider we know the truth or have the truth about the gospel does not mean we know everything about God or about Jesus. Not at all. And we have, as Job says, what little a portion is heard of him. We have this fractional understanding of the final total reality of God and Jesus. And don't forget that that's how God looks at us. And he's very patient in leading us onwards. And yet during that time, he is still walking with us, fellowshipping with us, helping us, answering our prayers. And if that's how he is to you and me, we also should be like that to others who, in fairness, maybe are misunderstanding things. It's that patience and and desire that he has to work with people where they are, which is, I think, what should always unfailingly encourage us when we feel absolutely lonely, that we are not alone. Man is not alone in this world. 
that beyond the steely silence of the skies there really is a passionate God and a very active Lord Jesus searching for relationship with us and bearing with all our foibles and our hang-ups and and what isn't quite right uh, in us now you read about Jesus curing uh, people of illness Jesus casting out demons and as you know it's my uh, opinion that the Bible does not teach that demons actually exist God is all powerful there's no battle up in heaven 50% of heaven sort of being on the side of Satan with all his demons sort of slogging it out against God and the good angels and all that all the angels are all obedient to God God is all powerful he is the author of of good and uh, evil in the sense of disaster Isaiah 45 verses 5 to 7 that light and darkness are from him and so well, what we've got here in the, the language of demons, it seems to me, is the language of the day for healing diseases, particularly mental illness, which people could not understand where it came from. That's why the language of casting out demons is not used about uh, curing a guy of, let's say, a broken leg, because that was sort of understandable where it came from. But demons were believed to, to really be some kind of disembodied beings, and idols were made to them. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul, uh, 8 and, and 10, uh, Paul makes it very clear that idols are nothing in the world. Having said that the Gentiles sacrifice not to God, but to demons, to idols, he says, and they are nothing in the world. There is only one God and of him are all things so therefore to believe in demons in a sense was to believe in idols and idols have no real existence and George Lamser who was uh, a guy who grew up in uh, a remote part of Kurdistan that still speaks the sort of Aramaic language uh, pretty well unchanged since the time of Jesus he wrote a New Testament commentary where he comments quite a bit on the language of unclean spirits and he says it's just a Uh, an Aramaic term used to describe lunatics, uh, crazy people and that therefore the language of casting out uh, unclean spirits and demons was really just another way of describing curing mental illness and the Bible is in a sense written from the perspective of human beings it's in language that we can understand and we pointed that out uh, when we looked at Mark 4 in verse 1 there where we read that Jesus sat in the sea and taught the people he didn't sit in the sea he sat in a boat in the sea but viewing that from a sort of wide angle wide angle distant perspective that's what it looked like that he was sitting in the sea with a bunch of people in front of him that's what it looked like it wasn't actually the case but it's recorded from that perspective and again you see the gentleness of God uh, in trying to go along with people in order to change their views when you look at all the references to demon possession and demons being cast out in the New Testament in the Gospels they're all clustered in the early parts of the ministry of Jesus as you go on later in the ministry you don't read about them and in the later New Testament you also don't read about uh, demons being cast out when people do miracles so I think that over time it just became apparent that sure these things don't exist 
the power of God and of Jesus is so strong that, okay, even if you want to believe these things exist, they effectively have no power. And as that was meditated upon, it became apparent they actually do not exist. And that is, I think, a wonderful pattern to us in our dealings with others. It's like, how do you talk to children? Do you tell children absolute truth about everything? It's not that you lie to them, but you do talk to them in terms that they at their level can understand, so that you might lead them eventually to a more fuller and accurate understanding. And so this is how it is with with how God treats us and how the, the issue of demons was addressed by the Lord Jesus. So then, this this man... Here in Mark 5 verse 2 was a man, it says, with, with an unclean spirit who, uh, who cried out. But then he was cured, and in verse 15 we read of him now as clothed and in his right mind. So then to cure someone of demons was to put them in their right mind. It was a mental illness that he had. People said about Jesus, John 10 verse 28-52, he has a demon and is mad. They thought that demons cause mental illness. That was their explanation of it. Now, why are there so many of these miracles recorded? Bearing in mind that the Gospels are sort of a, a choice, if you like, of, I suppose, thousands of incidents that could have been recorded. Why this emphasis upon the curing of of mental illness? I think it's because God foreknew that there would come a dispensation which we're now living in when dramatic miracles like raising the dead and uh, giving a one-legged man another leg, these things, contrary to what our Pentecostal friends might like to claim, these things just don't happen. The spirit is alive and well and working, but in a different way. Uh, Paul does talk about that in Corinthians where he says there's one spirit but it works in different ways and I'm pointing out that it works in different ways over history at different times and so therefore why, you know, we have this question why then all this emphasis on the, uh, the curing of mental illness and I think it's because as readers of the Gospels we are not to think that okay, back then they, there was Jesus going around doing miracles, but I live in my hard-headed 21st century world today and all that kind of thing doesn't happen. Yeah, okay, the, uh, the raising of the dead and stuff does not happen. But what does happen is the radical transformation of human minds. And I think that's why there is this repeated uh, record that Jesus had the power to cure mental illness, to cure minds. Now, I'd like to just uh, emphasize that comparing the records and reading Mark 5 here carefully indicates that the voice of the individual man is paralleled with that of the demons. The man is called Legion, hundreds of people, because he believed and spoke as if he were inhabited by hundreds of demons. It says in verse 7 here, Torment me not. And the other record in Matthew 8:29, are you come to torment us? Here in verse 9 of Mark 5, he, singular, besought him. But then in verse 12, the demons besought him. The man says himself in verse 9, my name, singular, is Legion, for we 
are many. Now, that's classic schizophrenic behavior, classic schizophrenic language. And Luke 8.30 adds the explanation that Legion said this because he thought that many demons had entered into, into him. So then, the person is paralleled with the demons. Again, verse 10. He, the man, begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. In Luke 8.31, they begged him, the demons begged him not to order them to go into the abyss. But here in Mark 5, verse 10, he, the man, legion, begged Jesus not to send them out of the country. So this is significant, I think, in that the record doesn't suggest that the demons were manipulating the man to speak and to be mad, rather they're made parallel with the man himself. So I would suggest on the level of uh, sort of language that uh, this term demons is being used as a synonym, uh, as a same word, uh, to refer to the mentally ill man. You got it again uh, earlier on in Mark, in Mark 3, verse 11. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and shouted, You are the Son of God. But who fell down on their knees and who shouted? It was the mentally disturbed people. So then, that's why, here in Mark 5, verse 8, Jesus addresses himself not to the demons, but to the man himself. Jesus... um, talks to the man and the demons never actually say anything in the record it's always the man himself who speaks when the rabbis cast out demons as they supposed they used to ask first of all for the name of the demon but Jesus doesn't do this he asks the man for his personal name Jesus wasn't speaking to the demons he was talking to a mentally sick man and the man is put for the demons let's just get a bit uh, bit more practical and devotional about this the man, the mentally ill man is described as the demons, I've given about six reasons for thinking that he was only seen as a mentally ill person, just like when we meet someone who's mentally ill all we can think of is, this guy's crazy she's she's, uh, lost her marbles But there is more to a person than their mental state. And that that is a crucial point. There is more to a person than their mental state. Jesus spoke to the person. And there is more to every one of us than that which other people see us to be. You know, people may say, oh, he's black. And all they think of is, oh, he's a black guy. You know? Or people may say, she's divorced. And all they think about all the time is, she's divorced. Uh, and you know, other things. He, he's got a big, uh, I don't know, a big facial uh, deformation on the left side of his face. Sure he has, but there's so much more to the person than that. So let's, let's take a, a message for, to ourselves then from that. The way that Jesus perceived the value of the human person. Now, Jesus says, verse 25, um, sorry, in in Luke's record, uh, I command you, come out of him and enter no more into him. So mental illness is typically uh, intermittent. In Luke 8, 27, it says that the man came to meet Jesus from out of the city. 
and yet Matthew 8.28 speaks of him living in the tombs outside the city. So then he probably had been in the city as a normal kind of person and had heard Jesus preach and was convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. And he's really convinced about that and that God is the Most High. It's like he almost wants to be healed. He realizes that these demons in a sense don't exist because, or if they do, God is higher than them. He, he recognizes that. And yet he fears that, okay, Jesus might make him a bit better, but he's going to go back. He's going to relapse. That's why I think Jesus did this uh, miracle also of sending the pigs over the edge as a kind of visual uh, thing that the man would always remember about the finality of his, of his forgiveness that, and his, his cleansing. That He would have always remembered that herd of pigs running over the, the cliff to permanent death below with the awful sound that would have made and that would have been a, an abiding memory for the man and he, he says in verse 7 here in Mark 5 please don't torment me probably full of memories of how the local folk had tied him up and beaten him mercilessly to try to exercise the demons out of him which is what people did and so Jesus sort of goes along uh, with the man's fears and says okay I'll now give you in a sense what you want just to show you that this is a permanent cure and again we stop and we, we all tend to think I, I think in our own lives that okay there are times when sure I seem to make real spiritual progress but I always slip back but no ultimately the work of, of God and Jesus in the hearts and minds of people can be permanent and he wants to try to persuade us of that now of course the man had the idea that a lot of uh, primitive people have of, of disease transference and Jesus goes along with that rather like the leprosy of Naaman clave to Gehazi in 2 Kings 5.27 or God threatened in Deuteronomy 28 to make the diseases of the inhabitants of Canaan and Egypt to cleave to Israel if they were disobedient now this is all accommodation to human uh, ideas and human ways of understanding uh, sickness, mental illness, etc. And so Jesus goes along with that. Because he so wants to try to persuade this poor man that really the cure is permanent. And it's, he's got the same problem with us. When we worry and wonder, am I really forgiven? Is it really all over? Am I really through all that stuff? Really am I going to be in the kingdom? And you see Jesus with a different set of uh, uh, circumstance here with this man doing his utmost to try to persuade the guy that really, yes, this is once and for all. Really, you are cured. And don't forget, I mean, he would have got in quite a lot of trouble, humanly speaking, for, like, killing all those, all those guys' pigs. I mean, they weren't exactly uh, grateful to him for doing that. They could have easily come and killed him for doing that. But Jesus took the risk. He did it because he so wanted to try to persuade the man that I have really cured you. So the man is so eager to respond in gratitude and what does he do he responds by wanting to preach he begged him that he might come with him verse 18 of Mark 5 
Jesus didn't allow him and says, no, go home to your family and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. And he went and published everywhere in the, in the ten cities how great things Jesus had done for him and all men marveled. And as we know from the other records, when Jesus came back uh, to that area, the people were waiting for him. Now, this then is our response to really believing that we have been cleansed. It is to tell others. And we all lament, I think, why don't I preach better? Why do the breaks come on? Even if you are the most extrovert of people, even the most extrovert complain of the same problem, of a, of a shyness, when it actually comes to sharing their faith. And the shy people amongst us, maybe I'm in that category myself, would, would blame their, their hang-up about sharing the good news with other people with an, a natural uh, quietness of spirit and a natural shyness. But no, if we have... The reason why we're not sort of upfront, out there witnesses to the work of the Lord is because I think we have not really perceived the extent to which he has forgiven and the extent to which he has cleansed us. Now going further, I think that this man Legion is being set up really in the way he's described as a symbol of all Israel. Isaiah 65, 3 and 4, Israel are a people which remain among the tombs and lodge in the monuments. That's very much where, where Legion was. He was always in the mountains. These are the high places where Israel had sinned. And the fact the man, uh, the, the miracle occurs, it seems, in Gentile territory. I mean, they were keeping pigs which uh, Jews wouldn't do or weren't supposed to do, I think that suggests he's like Judah in exile, as they were. And when the Lord asks him, what is your name? I mean, Jesus knew that. He was just trying to elicit self-knowledge in the man. And that's the very same question that God asks Jacob. And when Legion says, we are many, he's actually quoting almost the words of Ezekiel 33:24, which... Uh, it says that son of man, those that inhabit those wastes of the land of Israel, just as Legion was, speak, saying, Abraham was one and he inherited the land, but we are many. Thus says the Lord God, you eat with the blood and lift up your eyes towards your idols and shed blood. Shall you possess the land? So if the, the man saw himself, actually, we are many, uh, as Ezekiel 33:24 about Judah and dispersion. Legion, here in Mark 5, 3 and 4, was often bound with fetters and chains. Very same words in the Septuagint, fetters and chains, used about how God's people were put into fetters and chains and taken into captivity in Babylon. If you want the reference to Chronicles 33, 11, 36, verse 6. So then, There would come a time, Zechariah prophesied in 13 verse 2 of Zechariah, when Judah would repent and would return. And I will cause the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. It's all very similar. And of course the destruction of the pigs in the water is really very similar to how the Egyptians were destroyed in the Red Sea when Israel were delivered from Gentile power before and the Gentiles there in Gadara were afraid, just as the Gentile world was at the time of the, uh, the Red Sea deliverance. What was done to Legion 
is described here as great things in verse 19 of Mark 5. You may like to scribble in your margin Psalm 106 verse 21, where Israel's saving from Babylon and from Egypt is also called great things that God had done. So, that man then was symbolic, if you like, the way the record is framed, of Judah. And the intention was that Judah, who were there eating swine's flesh, as Isaiah 66 and 65 say, that there they were eating swine's flesh, as it were, in captivity, in, in fetters and chains, they were to be cured. That was God's intention. And their response to that would be to go and tell the Decapolis, verse 20, the ten cities of the Gentiles, to, to tell them the great things, to tell the Gentiles the great things that Jesus had done for them. Now, whether Legion perceived all these connections, I don't know. He may well have done. And yet the sad thing is, of course, that Judah, for the most part, didn't return from exile. They preferred the soft life in Babylon. And the few that did return to to the land were hardly very committed to God. They fraternized with the Gentiles at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, intermarried with them, traded with them on the Sabbath. Um, they did not witness to them of the great things that God had done for them. And so we come now closer to the cross and to the Son of God hanging upon it. And the point is that we have really been cleansed. We have really been forgiven. And our response to that is quite natural. The more you perceive it, it's just natural to go and to tell others. We cannot be passive ever, ever again when we realize that really, uh, as Micah says, all our iniquities, he has finally cast into the depths of the sea.